Well, as I said, we're near the end of this message series called Foundations, a road trip through the epistle of Paul to the Church of Rome. And we're going to do one more chapter in Romans next Sunday, chapter 16, making this a 20-message series. Now, one of the key words in chapter 15 is the word ministry. In fact, Paul uses three different Greek words to discuss this theme. In verses 8, 25, and 31, it's the simple word for a servant or service. We get our English word deacon from this word. In verses 16 and 27, the word minister is used, which is an ordinary word for service in public office or in the temple. And then in verse 16, Paul uses, he uses a word that isn't found anywhere else in the Greek New Testament, and it means to perform sacred rites. It's to minister in a priestly service. And so here in chapter 15, verses 8 through 33, we're going to learn more about Paul's personal burden, his personal vision, and his passion for ministry, as well as what it means for us, what it means to be a minister. So let's read, beginning in verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we see here that God's desire to save people is not limited to just the Jewish people that he refers to in verse 9 or verse 8. It also refers to the Gentile people mentioned in verse 9. So it's for all people. And Paul gives four Old Testament quotes, which you can probably, you probably have that listed in the margin of your Bible or maybe at the bottom of the page. But Paul gives us four Old Testament quotes to reinforce how inclusive this message about Jesus really is. Now, sometimes people think of Christianity as being exclusive. And it is exclusive in the sense that Jesus said he was the only way to the Father and that He's the only path to forgiveness and the only path to eternal life. But it is also inclusive because anyone can follow him. Anyone can trust him for forgiveness. Anyone can trust him for eternal life. So it is inclusive. And notice in verse 8, Jesus is called the servant to the circumcision. This is a reference to the Jewish people. It's helpful for us to remember that we follow a Jewish Messiah. When you begin reading the Bible, and you begin in the book of Genesis all the way through, you, you discover very early on that God had called out Abraham and his descendants. And God made covenant promises with the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and David. He makes these covenant promises. And that's why when it talks about the Jewish people, in verse 8, we see that word truth. He has truth, and he's speaking to these 
Jew, the Jewish patriarchs. And when it talks about the Gentiles in verse 9, we see that word mercy. Because in saving Jewish people and providing his son to be the Savior, God was being true to his covenant promises. But he made no such covenant promises to the Gentiles. He said things about including the Gentiles in the Old Testament, but he never made covenant promises to them. So when he reaches out to save the Gentiles, and largely that's, that would be all of us here this morning, that is mercy on his part. That is God's mercy, and God extends mercy to all of us. Thank God for his mercy. And this sets up our first point regarding what it means to be a minister. One, it begins with a burden. It begins with a burden. If you would continue reading with me, verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. Now in verse 14, Paul gives his readers credit. He gives them some props for who they were. You see that phrase, full of goodness. And then he recognizes them for what they knew. He says, filled with all knowledge. And then he credits them for what they did. It says that they were able to admonish one another. Now, when you take those three things together, sometimes when we come to church, we're content with learning without being changed, much less bringing change. We come, we listen to Bible studies, perhaps you're taking notes, and we're learning a lot of things from God's Word, but sometimes we confuse learning with spiritual growth. Sometimes we confuse learning with God's whole plan for our lives. It's essential, to be sure. It's foundational. But if we are learning without being changed and without bringing change, that's so much less than what God has for us. Perhaps some of us, we don't stop with learning. Perhaps we are learning and we're being changed, but we're still not bringing change. It's as if all of this is just for us. All of what we're doing this morning is just for us, but not for anyone else. Or at least that's that we think it's not our responsibility to make sure that others discover what we have discovered. Well, I want for us to be at this point where, where you're learning and you're being changed, and you're bringing change to others. Paul saw that in these Roman believers, and he wanted to make sure that they, that they knew that he saw those things in them. Why? Because verse 15, Paul was admittedly bold in writing the things that he did in the book of Romans, especially if you reflect back on what we looked at last week regarding those gray areas that we have in life, those areas where there are legitimate differences of opinion because there's no clear directive in Scripture. And that's personal. That's some personal stuff that he gets into. So Paul, he's kind of been in their business. He's kind of been in our business in regards to those things. And so he's trying to respect the fact that they might be feeling a bit uncomfortable as they come to these verses. 
So he wants them to understand that he's being bold, not because they were behind in these things, but to remind them of these things. They, they couldn't be reminded enough about the, these transformational truths, and neither can we. I mean, really, we cannot be reminded enough about who God is and what he has done for us and what he is doing now in us and through us. It's funny how we have this tendency to forget the things we want to remember and remember the things we want to forget. Funny how that works. Do you ever think, you know, you're talking to someone like, you know what, this is really important. I need to remember this. I need to, I need to really remember this. And, and then it's like, the next thing you know, like, you know, I was supposed to remember something. What was I supposed to remember? You don't even know what it was you were supposed to remember, much less the facts of what you were supposed to remember. Somebody's name or some, some serial number you're supposed to write down, whatever it might be. You forget what you were supposed to remember. Not only do we forget the things we want to remember, we remember the things we would like to forget. It's amazing how much useless information that we have stored in our minds. Uh, there's important things that I can't remember to save my life, and yet I can remember the most useless information like sports statistics or uh, you know, players on a team that I was talking to my wife. We were talking the other day, and I rattled off something. She goes, how do you know that? I'm like, I actually don't know how I know that. I just remember that. I just know it. Or music history or who, the bass player of some band in the 80s. How I remember that, I don't know. But we, we remember those things. But when we think about all of this, Paul is trying to speak to this issue with, when he basically tells his readers that the book of Romans or the letter to the Romans is meant to be a reminder of some of the most important things in life. And by extension, God is telling us that the Bible is a reminder of the most important things in life. I have discovered, and no doubt many of you have discovered, that the Bible is inexhaustible. I mean, the more you read it, the more God reveals to you about himself and his character, his nature. I've been, I've been reading the Bible for 33 years. I've been studying the Bible to some degree or another for most of those 33 years. And I've been teaching the Bible. Now it'll be 15 years at the end of this month uh, I'll, that I'll have been pastor of this church and teaching the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And the more I learn, I mean, the, I realize how little I know. There's just so much more to know, more to learn. I've barely scratched the surface. So when you wake up in the morning, perhaps you read a few verses, maybe you read a whole chapter, maybe you read several chapters. When you're spending your time with the Lord, you might stop and think that basically, you know, what you're holding in your hands what we have before us in God's word, it's like a post-it note reminder, reminding us to love God. It's reminding us to love other people. It's really, well, it's 66 books, so it's 66 post-it notes to remind us of the most important things in life. Well, now, verse 16. Let me draw your attention to five words. The words are minister, ministering, offering, acceptable, and sanctified. Those are all words that the priests in Jerusalem would use to describe what they did. So Paul is thinking about a way to talk about 
what it is that he does in his service to God and to people, and he settles on this idea of a priest. And he sees this going in two directions, from God to man and from man to God. He sees himself as giving the gospel. So in terms of from God to man, he sees himself as giving the gospel. Now that word gospel, it simply refers to the message about Jesus, the message that God became man, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross on our, in our place for our sins. And because of his death, he paid for, to forgive our sins, but he rose from the dead, resurrecting, and because he did, anyone who would trust him and trust him to lead them and to forgive them, he would. That he would forgive us of our sins and lead us and do that. And he will do that. And we can have a relationship with the Father because of what Jesus did for us. A relationship now and forever. That's the message about Jesus. It's called the gospel, which means good news. The good news of Jesus. And we would certainly say that the message of Jesus is the best news ever. It has eternal consequences. And it has consequences for right here and right now as we live and trust him and walk with him in our day-to-day lives. But this goes the other direction as well. Paul was not just presenting something from God to man. He was also presenting something from man to God. And that was the Gentiles. Paul was devoting himself to reaching all people, but he had a special burden to reach non-Jewish people, that they too might come to know God. And so as Paul thinks about that, he sees himself as a priest, and he sees the non-Jewish people that he is presenting to God as his offering, that that's his offering to God. So the fact that Paul shows this priestly metaphor among all, other, all the things that he might have chosen, it tells us that he saw that what he did was sacred. It was a sacred service to God. Paul saw his service and ministry as being sacred. And that's not just true about Paul, just because he was an apostle. It's true about us. It's true about you. It's true about me. Every one of you who has a place of service of some kind to the Lord. So many of you here here in this church, you're serving in one capacity or another in, in this church. And you are the backbone of this church, making ministry happen here. That is sacred. That's a sacred service. And let me just point out that we have several serving opportunities in our church. And I want to encourage you that if this is your church home, you call this your church home, but you have not yet stepped out in, in step forward to become, in one way or another, part of the team that makes Engage Calvary the church that it is, this is your chance to do that. You have that opportunity. And I mentioned earlier about the connection cards. You can actually give us your information, uh, on your contact information on a connection card this morning and write down perhaps a ministry that you're interested in. And then you can drop it in the offering box in the back of the sanctuary. And someone will call you, they'll contact you and talk to you about which area of ministry you might be interested in and at least exploring before making any kind of commitment. You're not signing your life away by filling out a card and dropping that in the box, but it's just taking the next step. 
It's, it's just taking a step forward in faith. And I'll tell you, we have many opportunities for hospitality, uh, doing the coffee, preparing the coffee uh, on a Sunday morning and making sure there's water and that sort of thing. The greeting team, joining the greeting team, just showing up, saying hello to people, greeting people at the door. Now, there is a sense in which every person who calls this church home, you are on the greeting team. You're welcoming people. You're introducing yourself to people. But those who are designated to open the door and welcome folks at, at the front door. We have a security team. We have children's ministry. We have an opportunity to, to minister to the children. Right now, we're in here. We're, we're worshiping together. We're studying the word together. They're doing the same thing at, in the classrooms at the children's level where they can understand God's word. So there's opportunities in children's ministry, in the media team, and the social media, and communications. Uh, there's opportunities, the cleaning team. There's, there's ways to get involved without even necessarily even having to do it on a Sunday morning, but there are plenty of opportunities. I, I want to share a quote I came across, and this is actually one of my students in, in a class that I teach uh, on Christian leadership. And he made this, he made this quote, I had to share it. It says, if, if you want to understand who God is and how to love others as he loves, get involved serving others. It, it's putting feet to our faith. It, it's allowing the Lord to not just penetrate our minds and our heads, but work from our hearts as we serve other people. So as we continue looking at what Paul says, I want to make one more point about the gospel, that word gospel. In verse 16, he calls it the gospel of God. Anyone can make up their own religion, and many people have. But Paul didn't make this up. In fact, when you read his story as found in the book of Acts, you find out Paul rejected the gospel and rejected the gospel, and rejected the gospel until he finally accepted the gospel. He finally did. And here we see, once he did, we see this burden, his burden for ministry. And it begins with a burden. Ministry begins with a burden. Number two, it becomes a vision. We see that in verse 18. He says, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, Paul is he's now giving us the reason for verse 17, where he talks about what he glories in or what he boasts in. The insight that he gives us here in verse 18 and the beginning of verse 19 is that Paul was willing to talk about his life, but only under one condition— if God didn't do it, Paul did not want to talk about it. But if God did it, he would, he would boast about it. He, he, would, he wanted to talk about that. You know, there are things in my life that God had nothing to do with. And it would be wrong for me to put those things on God as if that's, it's on him. No, it's all me. And then there's that stuff that God did. The stuff that God did in my life. That's the good stuff. That's the stuff that I don't deserve any credit for. That's what Paul wanted to talk about, the things God did in him and through him. Now, one way we could think about this and even kind of evaluate or diagnose where we are in our relationship with God is when you tell your story, 
When you tell the story of how you became a follower of Christ or the story of what happened since you became a follower of Christ or maybe a story about what God did in the last month or the last week or this, this weekend in your life, there's always someone who gets the glory. There's always someone who gets credit for it. And the question is, do you get the glory or does God get the glory for those things? When I tell my story, do I get the glory or does God get the glory? We want all the glory to go to God. It's his story of what he has done in us and through us. Now in verse 18, as he talks about what God has done, not just in him, but through him, he uses this, this phrase, in word and deed. You could think about that as Paul's message and Paul's miracles. Now, we all know Paul had a message. I mean, he wrote nearly half of the books uh, in the New Testament. But we may not be as familiar with his miracles. God used mighty signs and wonders and the broader power of the Holy Spirit to help Paul fully preach the gospel. It was a miraculous work of the Spirit in Paul. And he did it everywhere he went. Well, continuing, we left off in the middle of verse 19, but picking it up, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Paul was so incredibly engaged in his ministry that he had taken not one, not two, but three missionary journeys. Uh, he says that he went from Jerusalem in the southeast to uh, Illyricum in modern Yugoslavia and Albania up in the northwest. It was like 1,400 miles. But it wasn't just about the many miles he traveled. It was about the many places he stopped to share the gospel and to minister to people. And it's, inter it's interesting what Paul says about how he chose those places. Paul was a church planter, but he didn't want to plant churches where other people had already planted churches. He didn't want to build on another man's foundation. That's what that phrase means. Paul was a pioneer. He had a vision, and his vision was to go where there were not any followers of Christ, where, where there was no churches even. Uh, so, that's what, what is, so what does it mean to be a minister? It begins with a burden, and it becomes a vision. And God had given Paul a vision to go plant churches where no one had planted churches before, to spread the gospel in that way. Well, there's a third thing. It's fueled by a passion. It begins with a burden. It becomes a vision, but it's fueled by a passion. We see that beginning in verse 22. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Now, in chapter 1, back in Romans chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, we learn that Paul prayed that he might get to visit Rome. And then in chapter 1, verse 13, 
you see that Paul planned to visit Rome. But here in chapter 15, verse 22, we see he postponed his trip to Rome. And the reason is because he wanted to go to some places where there wasn't already a church. And there was already this church in Rome. Because at this point, Paul sees the door of opportunity in Corinth closing. He wrote this letter to the Romans from the city of Corinth on his third journey. And though it isn't the next thing that he would do, he has his eyes set on Spain. He knows that in, in attempting to go to Spain, that he would have this opportunity to visit the Christians in Rome on his way to Spain. But this was the time. This was the opportunity for him to plant another church. As for the church in Rome, Paul would be going there to, to be a support to the church that's already there, or, and maybe even be supported by the church in Rome uh, as he continues on his missionary journey on his way to Spain. Now, did Paul make it to Spain? The Bible doesn't say. Uh, tradition says yes. Many Bible scholars say no. We don't know. But here's what the point is that we do know that I think is great. Paul wanted to go. He wanted to take the gospel all the way to Spain. You know that, say, that the saying, aim at nothing and you're sure to hit it? Paul was not that guy. He was always aiming for something. He was always asking God for vision, and he was going for it. He was stepping forward in whatever God had for him. He was always aiming at something. And listen, we all need a Spain. We all need something that God's given vision for, what God has given us passion for. So what is your Spain? What is the thing God has given you vision for, that thing that you have passion for? And what are you doing right now in your life to, just to take the next steps in that direction? I just want to encourage you this morning to identify what that is. Identify your Spain if you haven't already. That thing that God has given you vision for. And ask for the passion to pursue it. Not just to dream about it and put it on your calendar and your wish list, but to put feet to your faith. And give passion for it. And if you have identified it, what can you do this week to take a step in that direction toward your Spain, whatever that might be? Paul did. Well, let's continue. Verse 25. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Now, there had been a famine in Jerusalem, so Christians, like everyone else, had suffered. But there was also persecution that was specifically directed at the followers of Christ. And as Paul was traveling uh, on this third missionary journey, he wasn't shy about asking for funds. He wasn't shy about fundraising. As he went from place to place, he was actually receiving an offering at each stop, or at least seeking one. Why? To take this gift from these largely Gentile churches to the Jewish, where the Jewish Christians were in Jerusalem, both to meet their very real physical and material needs, but also to help reconcile this strained relationship uh, 
that had developed between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. So that was a beautiful thing for him to do, to take up collecting this offering. But here's what's interesting as we look at what he says about this fundraising that he did. In verse 26, he refers to this as a contribution. But in verse 27, he refers to it as a debt. How can it be both? Was it voluntary or was it involuntary? If we were to take this and try to apply it to our lives and our money management and our giving, you might say that in verse 26, we recognize that we have the freedom to give or not. But in verse 27, we are reminded that we have a responsibility. For the Gentile Christians in the greater Roman Empire, they had received so much spiritually from the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. It was only right that they would help the Jewish Christians in in Jerusalem in their need. But beyond that, I've already said Paul wrote the book of Romans from the city of Corinth. Paul had also, he also wrote two letters to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, we find in the Bible. And in both letters, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and in 2 Corinthians, especially chapters 8 and 9, he mentions this offering. And he tells us a lot about our giving in those two places, uh, in those letters to the Corinthians. He says that we're to give regularly. Some people understand that to mean we should give each time we receive, as often as we get paid, that we should give. Others understand it to mean that whatever we do, that we do it on a consistent basis. Either way, to give regularly. We're also to give worshipfully, which means, among other things, that we are to give first and to give most to our home church, to, to the body of the people who pray for you, the, the people who minister to you most, that you interact with the most. And we do that not as something that's other than our worship, but it's part of our worship, that it's done worshipfully to the Lord. He says that we're to give proportionally, uh, which means that the more we earn, the more that we give. You might think that that's how that happens, but you know, in the United States, that's not so. In fact, in the U.S., the more people earn, the less they give by percentage. Now, they do give dollar amount-wise. They give more in terms of the amount, but the percentage actually decreases as people earn more. Paul says, no, it should be proportionate. He says that we should give cheerfully, And really, the best translation of that verse is to give hilariously. I don't know if you've ever thought about giving hilariously, but it means with joy, that it's a joyous thing to do, to give, because you know that all that you have is from God anyway, that you're just giving joyously. And Paul also says we should give expectantly, which means that we give believing that God will take care of us. If he's given us all that we need, then we get to keep a large percentage of what he, he gives us, and we can trust that he's going to take care of the rest. He is going to meet our needs. Well, continuing verse 28, Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. I don't know if you've ever been on a, a good, or if you've ever had a good road trip go bad. You know, like you start out, it, it's great, things are going great, but within hours, 
it just spirals out of control. Like, you know, this is not going how I planned. You have to understand that Paul did eventually go to Rome, but he got there as a prisoner and only after he had been shipwrecked and snake bit. That's how he got to Rome. I seriously doubt that that's what Paul envisioned when he wrote this about arriving in the fullness of the blessing. But if we could have spoken to Paul when he was under house arrest there in Rome, recovering from the trauma of his trip, if we could ask, hey, Paul, did your trip to Rome, did it turn out the way you thought it would? I mean, are you here in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ? I believe Paul would have said, yes. Not, not how I planned it, but you know what? I am here in the fullness of the, the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And that's because Paul understood something that we all too often forget. And that is that in life, it's not what happens to us, it what, it's what happens in us that matters. And how we respond to it. How do we respond to the things that happen to us? Paul responded beautifully, of course. Remember that this week, if something goes wrong. Remember that the next time a crisis arises or that's introduced into your life, it's not what happens to us, it's what happens in us. We're continuing verse 30, finishing out the chapter. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now we see again, as we have throughout this study, we see God is three in one. We see that in verse 30. There's one God, but he exists eternally in three persons, in triunity, or the word trinity for short. The first person, God, the Father, is called God there in verse 30. The second person, God the Son, is called the Lord Jesus Christ there in verse 30. And the third person, God the Holy Spirit, is called the Spirit in verse 30. But if I were to condense these final verses of chapter 15 into just three words, I think Paul would say the, the three words that summarize this the best is pray for me. That that's what he's saying. Pray for me. Paul knew he needed the prayers of God's people, and he wanted them to partner with him in ministry through their prayers. I love the, some other translations of verse 30. In the New English Bible, it puts it this way, be my allies in the fight. And then in the New Living Bible, join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Paul wanted so much for his Roman readers to keep him in their prayers. And I want so much for you to keep me in your prayers. As one commentator put it, Pastors are sustained by the power of the Spirit through the support of their congregations. I, I invite, I welcome your prayers for me. I want so much for you to keep our ministry leaders in your prayers. And if you're wondering, well, what do we pray for? What should we pray for? Pray for me the same things that you pray for yourself. I mean, I'm 
like you. I, I have the same struggles, the same things that, that everyone goes through. Could you pray for me and my family? Could you pray for our ministry leaders and their families? Pray for marriages. Pray for our marriages to be strong. Pray for parents. Pray for children. Pray for finances. Pray for help. Pray for all those things that come to your heart and mind when you are talking to God about your life in your own prayer life. For me, as the pastor of Engage Calvary, pray that God would lead me and guide me. And pray that each week that he would share his heart and his mind with me as I share the message that I bring every week. But don't just pray for me. Don't just pray for our ministry leaders. Pray for our church. By the way, that's you. Pray for, pray for the church. Do you pray for the church? Do you pray for Engage Calvary specifically? I would encourage you to do, the, to, to do that. If this is your church home, please pray for it. Pray that God would bless it. Pray that God would work in the lives of everyone here uh, and all the, the people who attend here. Pray that God would not only bring wholeness to our lives, but that he would use us to bring wholeness into the lives of other people. Pray that we would grow as we reach those who are not yet followers of Christ, as they become followers of Christ. So keep me, keep us, and keep Engage Calvary in your prayers. Now Paul says something very interesting about praying in these verses. He talks about prayer as striving. And the Greek word means to agonize. It's to fight or to, to wrestle. But who are we fighting? We're not wrestling with God like Jacob was in Genesis 32. We may or may not be wrestling with Satan uh, or our spiritual enemy, as it, it talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. But one thing is for sure, we are wrestling with ourselves, with our own fallen nature, our flesh. You remember when Jesus, he told Peter, James, and John on the night that he was arrested, he asked them to pray three times. And each time, they fell asleep. And so Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that is so true. My spirit's willing. My spirit desires the things of God. In terms of what I'm willing to do, and what I'm, am I willing to be someone who has this incredible, ongoing conversation with God? Yes, yes, oh yeah. But in terms of performance, it's hard, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's difficult. I mean, I think everyone struggles to some degree or another with their prayer life. And a big part of the striving is just striving with that part of us that doesn't feel like praying. Not right now. Or doesn't enjoy prayer in a particular time. And always has something to do besides praying. You know, you sit down to pray. I don't know if you keep a list, of a to-do list or anything like that. But it always comes to you when you sit down and start to pray. Like, oh, I forgot. I need to do this today. Oh, I need to do this today. You might as well just start writing it down so you get it written somewhere so you can get back to, Lord, I want to connect with you. I want to get out of my own head and get into your presence. I want to connect with you and what you're doing. So that's something we need to overcome. How, how, how we need to overcome that. Well, if you were looking at the things Paul asked them to pray for 
and you know how the book of Acts ends, you would have to say that some of those prayers that Paul had were unanswered. No, that's not true. They weren't unanswered. There's no such thing as unanswered prayer. We don't always get the answer we want, but we always get an answer. If the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If I am wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right and the timing is right and I'm right where I'm in the right place, then he says go. So if in your life there appears to be some unanswered prayer, at least as you perceive it to be as unanswered prayer, maybe this is a season that, that it's a season of slowing and a, sl- a season of growing that God is doing in you. Uh, maybe this is a season for both, of slowing and growing, waiting upon the Lord. What does it mean to be a minister? It begins with a burden. It becomes a vision, and it is fueled by passion. Paul had this burden to reach the Gentiles. He had this God-given vision to take the gospel where churches had not already been established and to plant churches. And he, he had all this passion for what God had given him vision to do. I want for you to have that. I want that for myself. I want want our church to have that. God has something he's doing in each and every one of us. Let's ask him for those things. Let's ask him for a burden, for a vision, and for a passion. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you.